0: Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and
1: special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. All right. Um, I wanted to talk to you really quick. We've been on this theme of stewardship. And um, the definition that i really fallen in love with on stewardship is managing heaven's resources for the Father's business. Managing Heaven's Resources for the Father's Business. And the heart's cry of a good steward is, it'll never be mine, it'll always be yours, Lord. It'll never be mine, it'll always be yours, Lord. I was talking with a regional overseer in the Illinois area in the Church of God. I was talking with him this week. And um, we were talking about the, the numbers in the church of pastors that struggle with pornography. It's staggering. is at like 4 out of 10, but those are the ones that admit it. My, um, my uh, counselor, uh, I've got a fantastic man that I've worked with for years now and just a, a great counselor and, and good friend. He, um, I, I was talking about this statistic with him a while back, and he's, he laughed. And he's like, uh, no, probably close to 8 out of 10. He's like, like, I see it from a little different standpoint. It's probably closer to 8 out of 10 that struggle, but because, like, at least half won't admit it, right? And so it's just, like, such a challenge, and we were in this conversation, and he's talking, like, Lord, help, because we need, you know, like, there's got to be, there's lots of resources available for this issue, and so we were talking about that, And, um, and I said, you know, it actually... One of the reasons why a lot of pastors don't say anything is because they're afraid they're going to lose everything, right? Because if a pastor gets exposed, he loses what he thought was his ministry. We have to get back to stewardship. This is not mine. It's always his, right? That thing that, you've got, that you're called to do, it's not yours. It's his. It's the Lord's, and you're called to steward that thing. Um, we talked a little bit last week about bringing our first, how the, God has this concept of whether it's, whether it's money, your, your crops, your yield, whatever it is, bring God the first. And we see multiple, multiple, multiple examples of this. We actually talked about Cain and Abel, right? One of the reasons why Abel's, um, or Cain's offering wasn't honored by the Lord was because it came to pass over the course of time that he brought an offering and Abel brought the firstborn. See, God always wants the first, and he honors the first. So however that works out in your life, give God the first. Amen? Um, Now, one of the things that always comes up when it comes to generosity and giving us time, right? Like, I want to give of my time. Would you say it's good to give your time to the Lord? Amen. Well, it's not your time. We're stewarding time. This revelation is really powerful because nowhere in Scripture does it tell you to give your time to God. It's not a biblical concept. Time is actually meant to serve us. Time is meant to serve you. Just like money is meant to serve you, just like the earth is meant to serve you. The resources are to serve you, not you serve it. I'll let you marinate. So let me let me just say God only has one thing he ever asks in time, concerning time. Do you know what it is? It's one word, Sabbath, right? It's the only thing he asks for, and it's actually in the Ten Commandments. We're pretty good with all the Ten Commandments, but we we feel like that one's actually kind of iffy. Sabbath is about rest. Giving him, setting aside in your time, time for you to let go of all of your activity and be with the Lord. Now, there's a thousand different ways that we could look at this in the concept of New Testament, but Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. We know that, right? So, in the fulfillment of the law, I I just, I feel like we need a revelation on Sabbath rest. For me, I want to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. I want to honor the Sabbath. I want to keep it holy. Why? I'm stewarding time. I'm stewarding time. And I want to steward it according to God's teaching, not what feels good to me. I want to steward things according to how God asks me to, not to what I feel Least offended by. Unfortunately, that's how we've built up so many teachings in the body of Christ is because we're avoiding offense. Because God's words a lot harder than we wished it was. So, we want to keep it holy by stewarding our time according to God's teachings. Why? We want to balance productivity, right? Because we all do things for the Lord. We hopefully are doing them with God. Hopefully, like whether you're going to your workplace, you see that as your ministry that you're stewarding, right? Like, like the excellence that you bring there, stewarding it to reveal a good heavenly father, right? So all of those things that we're stewarding, actually, we need to balance the productivity of what we're stewarding with the commitment to take time away. We have to take time away with the Lord and recover in order to not risk our health, our well-being. Or our effectiveness for the kingdom. How many of you have ever been burnt out serving Jesus? I know a lot of us have. Felt like we go, 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 and we're striving for a thing. Listen, the Sabbath puts the striving at bay. Because you got to let everything that you're afraid to drop and hit the ground, you have to let it hit the ground if you're going to honor the Sabbath and it begins to realign your entire life around what the right priorities are because you're going to give him the first. So I strongly encourage you, however that looks for you, and whatever take that you've got to consider your time and how you're being generous with time in the context of taking a Sabbath. Some of us have jobs. I know I had a job for a long time when I was in the mortgage business where the weekends were busy. Jeremy knows. Jeremy's, you know, real estate, shaking his head. There's some jobs that it's like, oh, how do I find the time away? Well, let me just tell you, you block it out, and you let everyone in your world know, I'm unavailable. I'm unavailable. No, I'm not responding to your text today. Because it's me and the Lord. I'm going to rest. I'm going to recuperate. I'm going to spend time building myself up in my faith and with my family. Amen? I just encourage you to consider this concept of Sabbath a little more intensely. We'll be talking a little bit more about it. I feel like there's these God principles that are for us to steward that we often ignore because it's inconvenient. And God wants us to step into a whole new level of stewarding all of the resources that God has given us, including our time. Amen. 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 So there's, there's that little ditty for you. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna have Dave come up and and share. I I'm excited. I felt like Dave and I have been spending a little bit of time talking and praying, and um, I have really felt as though. This visit for David was pivotal for David, and it was pivotal for us. David and I connected, is it six years? Six, seven years ago, Uh, where I was on a a conference call with a bunch of uh, leaders from the Bethels network, and I was on a conference call, and one of the guys gets on, and he's like, yeah, I'm doing a men's retreat up in Sandpoint, Idaho. I was like, say what? What's happening? So I reached out to him, and uh, he was coming up, and, and uh, Dave had invited him to come and do a men's retreat with a group of guys from a bunch of different churches in Yakima area. How long have you been doing that retreat? 98. So they've been at Schweitzer since 98. Now, that's a lot of sewing up here where they've been coming up and doing stuff. And so um, we connected, and it was just like, oh, we fit well, it seems, you know. We fit well. um, We've opened up the Insight Now group with David, and he's had people from there up to speak from Peter and Tony and, you know, of course, me, and and then Jim did this last year. And um, who am I missing from that? No? Okay. So, uh, and then Levi from, from Bethel. Um, Levi Hug, and so we and Levi came and spoke here. Uh, so we've had Levi up here, which is great. But just kind of, we realize there's a there's a uh, so, there's some anointed connection between the Champion family, all the ministry he's doing in the Yakima area, plus Harvest Valley. Um, so we've been doing this men's retreat, our men's ski retreats with them. Um, so we are excited to have you here, David, because. David's been ministering in Pakistan with Harold Eberly. How many of you know who Harold Eberly is? The dude's brilliant. Really amazing, powerful man of God. So, um, and he does a big conference every year in, in Yakima, and uh, it's really good. Dave, come on up. Well, welcome Dave up. Will you? Come on, Judy. He, he was like, I am not letting you go, honey. They were up here for the Valentine's banquet, which was great. So good to see you guys. Yep, yep. Um, well, we're so grateful to have you guys with us. Um, I, think, I think that you carry more than you think you know, and I think we're ready to receive it. All of it. Okay? okay? All right. So don't hold back.
0: Whatever that looks like. We're going to find out. Many of you guys that have come to the ski retreat know me. This is my wife, Judy, for those that haven't met her. This is pretty scary for her. Me too, because this is a new season for us. And uh, Judy just happens to be one of the most sensitive, powerful intercessors that you could ever meet. So, thank you, hon. Yeah, you can go sit down. (laughs) I want to recognize my uh, friend Rick Feather and his wife Patty are sitting back here. Uh, I was doing (laughs) Bible studies with Rick, and he walked up to me before the uh, first time I ever went to Pakistan with Harold and said, God told me not to let you go to Pakistan alone. And I didn't even know I needed somebody to go with me. But come to find out, Rick's another one of those really powerful intercessors, And we get to Pakistan, and all I could hear Rick say was, I miss Patty, I miss Patty. And there's a long story to it. They just got married three months after (laughs) Rick's wife, Judy, passed away. It was amazing. Um, Patty's the beloved, you know. And, uh, you know, when Tony was here, Literally, the first words out of his mouth that there was going to be a resurrection in this church. And then the discussion on Insight Now was, if there's a resurrection, something has to die. Well, Patty's evidence that God always makes a way. Because after Judy passed away, Rick was a mess. Rick just happens to be a scholar of the Bible, a scribe, and an incredibly respected man of God. So, love you, Rick. Thanks for coming. Love you, babe. <laughs> As I say, this is a new thing for me. You know, I've been, spoke at like four pastors' conferences in Pakistan, it's, for some reason there's a difference, you know, that the concrete finisher gets to speak to three, four hundred Pakistani pastors that... Uh, you know, Any time they could be shot, blown up, whatever, you know. And then they listen to me. So <laughs> anyways, Father, we just uh, just pray, Father, your presence would fall upon us. Touch the coal to my lips, Lord. Touch the coal to my lips. So really this is about my testimony. And I've said this a few times, i got a feeling I'm going to say it a lot more. Testimony builds our faith, gives us hope, and it does this by revealing the love of God in our lives. So these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And I actually wrote, messaged Jim Kubiak because he wanted to make sure he got it right. And as I wrote it to him, I realized that, you know, God is the Alpha and the Omega First and the last, and faith and hope reside in love, in the Alpha and Omega. When I get a, when I figure all that out, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> I just know it's true in my heart. So um, we're going to give our testimony. People ask me how is Pakistan, and I say supernatural especially this last year. Harold's probably not going anymore. He told me that this year. I'm going a lot more. Thank you, Judy. She has uh, She's scared for me, but I'm not scared because I know I walk in the grace of the Lord, and I'm called there. Part of that is because in 1963, my dad was in the Air Force. We moved to Pakistan, so Literally, the first memories of my life are in Pakistan. I don't really remember the culture, but I remember being there. And one of the uh, significant memories was my mom was scared to death one day. I'm like three years old, guys. My mom was scared to death. She thought there was a snake in the backyard. And we're in the kitchen, and she's just haggard with fear because, you know, Probably a cobra, (laughs) you know. End up being a garbage can with some leaves on it. (laughs) So, um, and I have one other memory. My dad coming home from a trip up in the Himalayas with a bunch of fish, packed in snow and some ice boxes. It was dark when he got home. Very clear memory. And I like to fish, by the way. So the first year I was in Pakistan... You know, the Lord downloaded a lot of stuff to me over the course of about six months. And in Colossians, it says that the great mystery is Christ in us. And that um, we have died and are now hidden in Christ. And I frequently say, you know, we're supposed to be hidden in Christ, not Christ hidden in us. You know, and so often Christ is hidden in us. And um, because of that, I told them that our lives, actually I said, I find that my life is woven like a thread through the Bible in Christ. Bill Johnson says, the word is Christ in print. And if we are hidden in him, then we find ourselves in the Bible at different times of our lives. I know one year I can read a scripture and it means something to me. Later, down the road, five, ten years, it means something else because it's living and active. And uh, because of the fact that our lives are woven through here, I was able to uh, read this scripture to the Pakistanis first year. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I jumped over. Romans 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may mutually encourage each other's faith. And that's kingdom, it's it's not me bringing something, even though I get to impart something today, not even sure what it all is going to look like, but I also expect to receive something back, you know, and that's kingdom. And so, honestly, the Lord didn't download nothing to me. (laughs) He just said, give your testimony. So the one thing we know about testimony in Romans, Romans, Revelation 11, 12, 11, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, for they love not their life unto death. And uh, so it's like, for me, it's my most powerful weapon in the warfare in my life. It doesn't matter the condition of my heart, because I can give my testimony and it always speaks of the goodness of God. And it lifts me up and it will lift the people around me up. We have other weapons, of course, love, grace, mercy. To weld those tools, those weapons, sometimes depends on the condition of our heart. And always, you know, our heart's not always in the right condition, but our testimony brings us into the right condition and so <clears throat> get over to Pakistan this year and they give us a day to rest, it's a 20 plus hour flight so really I'm thankful they give us a day to sleep like 20 hours <laughs> after 20 hours of not sleeping and uh, we went down to the Bible college that was established through World Cast Ministries Harold and Harold uh, Eberly, and A lot of people donated into that. And Salim's the principal. I really made a good connection with Salim this year. And uh, Don and Mike Newcomb from Lakeview, Oregon, went upstairs to do some TV. And Salim took me to the classes. I've been to the classes before, but, you know, never by myself. So we walked into one of the beginning classes. They all stand up. They're all dressed, you know. And they all say, good morning to me. And this thing goes, do you have a word for them? And I went, uh, <laughs> you know. So I stumbled over a few things. and uh, But, you know, you got to take that step. Um, that was really evident to me before I went to Pakistan this year. I walked into a little teriyaki place to get some lunch because I didn't want a McDonald's burger. And, uh Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Anyways, I ordered, and I look over, and they serve this guy some food. And I look over, he's praying. Look around, waiting for my food. Look back, he's praying. Like five times, he's still praying. And just something in my spirit said, I want to say something to that guy. And I didn't know what to say. And I literally turned and took a step toward him, and out of my mouth spills, are you a pastor? For 35 years in the Korean church in Yakima. And so the Lord showed me a man of prayer. And by the time we got done speaking, I said, you're supposed to pray for me, <laughs> just boldly like that. And I know that man did. And so it's it's literally taking that step, whether you're sure or not, you got to take that step to step out and do something, and God will meet us there. So we go through all the classes and everything, and, you know, we we get to the older classroom with the boys and the girls, and... And this is, this is part of the important part of what's going on here today. You know, I get in this classroom with its girls, and I've met this teacher in the past. She's teaching the computer class. And I start praying over them because the Lord, a few years ago the Lord showed me you know, all the marriages there are arranged. Boys don't get a date girls. And, uh, you know, there are secular people there they go about their own way but the people that are honoring their parents don't date and um, they wait for the marriages to be arranged and so I saw this first in Muslim young men in the hotel but I start praying over these girls and the teacher just starts bawling because she's in her early 30s and desires to have a family and she can't. It's horrible actually. Um but we'll get back to that. Anyways, uh so all people free is a is a thing that Harold, you know, came up with the Lord put it on his heart to see slaves freed in Pakistan. There's about 2 million of them a young man named Ben Nichols headed it up and he's doing a marvelous job one of the first supernatural things happened was in the airport in Seattle I'm getting ready to get on the plane I went to the bathroom I come back and Ben you know he's about as tall as I am but weighs a little bit less like a lot less And (laughs) and I went wow Ben's here so I get to sit with Ben all the way over to Pakistan and actually get to Spend some time with him, instead of shake his hand, give him a hug, give him money, you know, for all people free. They're they're free and slaves. So, Salim came up with a program in the Bible College to literally take kids out of the brick kilns where they're slaves, bring them to the school, and teach them. And Ben said that's our most effective tool. They have they're building school well not building schools, but they're providing schools for these slave children. And uh, if they can pass either a 5th or an 8th grade test, they can leave the brick kiln, get a real job, and buy their families out of slavery. So that's part of it. But the most effective way that they have seen so far is pulling these kids out of the brick kilns, bringing them to the school, they put them in school clothes, instead of rags, and later that day, I heard a young slave speaking in English, reading in English, and they're doing all this in 18 months, from zero to like eighth grade or whatever in 18 months, just goes to show that Salim's pretty, pretty sharp guy. So they they all file in, the regular school's gone. Just a side note, the first time these kids ever had ice cream was in the van coming to school. We're talking about kids from the age of, you know, 8 to like 14, never had ice cream. I find that a problem in my life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, every kid should have some ice cream. You know, and the fact that they're treated like they are is just horrible. Anyways, they're all lined up, and they say good evening to me, and and then Slim goes, you know, for like the ninth time, do you have something to say? You know, so I just, I don't even remember what I said. You know, some words of encouragement, but the Lord highlighted this one girl about halfway back, and I just couldn't keep my eyes off of her, and I just, you know, I called her up front, and before I left, I grabbed some token gifts for a few of the pastors and and some of the pastors' kids. Like I gave a 1886 silver dollar to Khalid that my dad had given to me, and some of those like Sacagawea gold dollars and stuff, just passing around to the kids. Well, I went looking for this broken obsidian spear point that my daughter found, I was going to give it to Cleed's main guard, right, Peter, who'd be my fishing buddy if he lived here. I couldn't find it, but I found this really shiny, clear agate that was polished with some orange going through it, a shiny rock. I know I gave Judy one once, but it wasn't exactly the same. <laughs> Anyways, I call her up, and I speak some words of encouragement over I hand this little girl this shiny rock. She's like 14. And they go back, and then they go to school, and Slim walks up to me and says, Dave, two days ago this girl was going to quit the program. You know? And it's like, wow, that's amazing. You know they're all molested. They're slaves. You know? Zero self-esteem. And I know that many women here have been treated badly, and, and affects your self-esteem terribly. But I recognized what was going on when he told me that. And uh, two days after that, he said, she's in, Dave, she's staying. Because the Lord highlighted her, and I took a step of faith, and I just called her up, gave her a shiny rock. That's all it takes, right? (laughs) So, um, supernatural. It seemed like every time I turned around, something supernatural was happening. Um, I flew into Lahore, Pastor Riaz picked me up because Donna and Mike Newcomb had spoke at their church that weekend before we were going over to Peace Mission International for the leadership meetings and the Bible College graduation, that's why we're there. Picks me up at 1.30 in the morning, takes me to his house, there's four brothers living in their father's house, he's passed away. But they have these young men and young women there. And I just saw this grace upon them. And it, it's hard to explain. I can only explain it as grace. And I'd seen it first on Pastor Naseeb's sister. She graduated from Bible college. I saw her graduate from Bible college. Her name's Amina. She got married this year. Um, and she's pregnant. wonder how that happened. Anyways, uh... And I, and I just knew, you know, I saw these three young women that were just full of grace and respect for their parents and, and the young men too, right? There's a few young men in there. They had a real respect for their parents. And that was just eating on me the whole time I was there, you know, because, and I'm not saying anything bad, ladies. In comparison, American women are coarse and rude compared to the grace upon these women. And uh, I just knew that I wanted something to bring back. And uh, I first thought maybe I wanted Amina to pray over me, because I have an ongoing conversation with her. I had her and her now husband, Javid, who's also a pastor, and has a government job, which is, means he's got money. Not a lot of money, but he's got money compared to a lot of the people that live there. And um, I invited them and Naseeb to dinner at the hotel, and they came. And uh, I didn't know this until a little bit later, but it's the first time she ever laid eyes on him. They actually broke tradition to come to dinner with me. And um, they were kind of cute you know, and uh, even ate off each other's plate a little bit, which is, for not knowing somebody, that's pretty out there for me, you know, next time we have dinner, Chris, I'm going to eat off your plate, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's not going to work, okay, yeah, it is weird, it is weird, um, there's so much that happened there, I w- um, and we're going to come back to this grace. In 2018, I went and I spoke to these pastors and says, man, you guys do a great job getting people saved. They literally have. I've been to one meeting. There was over 20,000 people there. Thousands flocked to the front to get saved, you know, be prayed over. Um, I think I've seen pictures of a million people at a meeting. A million people in one meeting. It's really loud. They have really loud speakers. And when you're sitting in front of them, it hurts your ears. I take earplugs now. <laughs> Anyways, in 2008, he says, you got to do more. You can't just get them saved. They got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They got to be filled with the gifts. But I don't know what this looks like for you. Well, this year, 2021, I went back because the Lord had been showing me about discipleship. Mentorship and equipping. And uh, I got reprimanded by Chris at the men's retreat because I said, the church is really bad at equipping people. And Chris jumps out, not all churches. <laughs> and it's evident that uh, you guys are working at getting people equipped. It's really evident. Mentorship is huge. There's many times in my life, even now, I need mentorship in my life. I'm in a new phase in my life, a new place. And uh, so I went back with a plan this year. Um, A couple years ago, I took Judy down to the mission in Vacaville because so many people I knew from the tribe that Harvest Valley is associated with go there. I said, I want to go see what's going on down there so we get down there and they have a Friday night prophetic activation class I went okay I got activated by Harold once we went to LeGrand for graduation for a local BSSM thing you know supernatural ministry class so it's time for him to go speak over students and stuff he says, come with me Dave so I go up front he speaks prophetic word over this lady and he turns to me throws me under the bus <laughs> okay your turn Dave all I could do was cry and hug this lady. She cried, hugged me back. It was good. By the time we got down to the 12th guy, I actually had words for people, you know. You know. Took 12 people, but I had, I had some words, you know, and, uh, and stuff. So I went there with the plan. I had messaged Cleed, get me some cups that say I love Pakistan on them. And uh, he had some cups, and so here's like three, four hundred Pakistani pastors. And I bring Khalid and his wife up, Queen Esther, you know, his wife. Um, I found out this year that they are now the largest ministry in Pakistan. And uh, I grab a cup, and I said, this is how you do it. You literally begin passing on the anointing passing on the gifts by the laying on of hands. And last night Judy was reading something in Acts from her Bible study. Acts 19:6. I'm stealing it from her. It says, "And Paul gathered them together and laid his hands upon about 12 of them, and they received the gift of tongues and started speaking prophetically." So that's the scriptural backup. It literally begins by the laying on of hands. It's for everybody. I'm not special, just as special as Judy wants me to be. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's for everybody. All the gifts are for everybody. And if we're going to actually touch the world, we need them. Because what's the point of talking sweet words and being a fast talker if there's not some power behind it? So I get in front of all these people. I bring Khalid up. I didn't know what to say to him. I hand him the cup, and I so I during the prophetic activation class and at the mission, they had this basket, and I went, "Oh, there's a cup. Oh, this is cheating. This is so easy." I grabbed the cup. They paired us up with people. Walked over to this guy. Your cup overflows. That's my step of faith. That's the first words out of my mouth, and after that, it started to flow, right. So I prayed over him. He took it to a pastor over here, passed the cup to him, spoke over him. He turned around, passed it to the next pastor, spoke over him. We actually did this at the Men's Ski Retreat this year, an activation. I turned to Esther, gave her a cup, spoke over her. She went to the women's side because they said women on one side and men on the other. And, uh, you know, so literally the Lord gave me a plan show these pastors how to get their people anointed in something they're not really used to. Now, don't get me wrong. These people, when they start praying in tongues, they are loud. It's almost like they're trying to pray in tongues louder than the one next to them. It's like, wow. So they have gifts, but in Pakistan, you don't call anybody a prophet because there's only one prophet. His name is Muhammad and if you call somebody a prophet, they can be murdered. You know, so it's a spiritual activation, not a prophetic activation. Just a, just words. Yeah, and so we did that. That was uh, pretty amazing that I got to bring that. I'm still humbled and in awe that the Lord would have me do that. Um, we're just going to jump into this grace thing. So the last Sunday I was getting on the airplane at like 3 o'clock in the morning, Monday morning. And and I could have stayed for Sunday night church, but I realized I had a long trip and just something told me just go over to Cleed's house, hang out at Cleed's house while they're doing church. And his wife Esther shows up. And she's sitting down there and uh, I just said, man, I saw this thing on these girls. And it's just, there's a grace upon them. And I want something to bring back because my granddaughter, who's 13, is literally crude and rude and thinks it's cute. You know, because it's the society we live in now. It's cool to be snotty, I guess. And uh, I literally wanted something to bring back so I could lay my hands upon her. And it actually hasn't happened yet, even though I've been here for months. I'm just waiting for the time, the right time to do it, when she can receive it. Because right now, it's just not there. Anyways, Esther told me the story of a young man wanting to date her. And um, she says, well, bring your parents to meet my parents. You know? And the guy never did. And... um, Her parents hooked her up with Khalid. Dave, I never wanted to be married to a pastor. And they got the biggest ministry in Pakistan now. It's amazing. You know? And um, so she prayed over me. I put my hands out. She put her fingers in my palms and just prayed over my hands. And I can feel it in my hand right now. Whenever I think about it, I can feel it in my hand. And so did you ever get that uh, little thing on divorce? Okay, a friend of mine showed, I I was talking to Mark, the owner of Two Fast Track Days. I pray with the guy every five days a week, pretty regular. Once in a while we miss, you know, I'm pouring concrete or something or whatever, you know. And while he's getting that, I'll speak into this. Part of what he showed me was like relationship, being somebody's a friend, praying with them on a consistent basis, and it's been that Mark and myself are like iron on iron, you know, we have sharpened each other, there's, he was up at the ski retreat this year, I had to go up and get tickets for everybody, and uh, he gave his testimony, which a lot of you will remember, and I didn't actually get to hear it this time, I know what his testimony is, we pray about it weekly, you know, and... Um, there's in some some ways I believe he's leapt ahead of me in his walk you know Um, but it's that mentorship, it's that relationship it's that praying with people taking the time to pour into the one you know we sang that song Reckless Love today and uh, I was putting some worship music on last night and It popped up, and I listened to it, and it's like, yeah, I told Chris this last week. We forget about the one. We're all worried about getting people saved, but we forget about the one. We forget to pursue the one. And when you take the time to pursue the one, that's where discipleship is built. And uh, as I say, in some ways, I believe Mark is left ahead of me in his walk you know, and all I was doing was being his friend, praying with him, and we've seen remarkable changes at two fast-track days because of this. We used to have a few serious wrecks. For two years, I never even picked up a crashed guy because that's part of my job as a marshal is to circulate the track and be a first responder when people crash, and um We've had some serious wrecks. People have been hurt pretty bad, blood on the brain kind of thing, you know. Changed people's lives forever. But for two years, I never even picked one guy up. doesn't mean people didn't crash. just means I either wasn't on the track or I was on the other end of the track, you know. We have very few red flags where we have to call the ambulance out. Last year, we had a broken collarbone. I could break my collarbone tripping on this, you know. It's not a big deal. 99.9% of collarbones heal without surgery. You know? Not that you want to have a coll- broken collarbone. But the point is, pursuing the one. I mentioned this to Okay, do you want to play that? Uh, okay, so, um, yeah, so, anyways, Mark sent me this 50 second clip where this young black man is speaking to these women and says our culture teaches us to divorce people our dating culture teaches us to divorce people find the right one and if that's not the right one go find a different one you know and so it actually gets us in the habit and I listened I actually saw it it just popped up on my feed yesterday For no apparent reason, off of Google, when I was listening to my worship stuff, um, the guy said it again. It trains us that when things get hard, to just push them away and go somewhere else. You know, so our we have a divorce culture here that has scarred everyone in this place. Everyone. Very few of us are married to our high school sweethearts. There's a few out there, but very few. And so what the Lord told me in Pakistan was he wants something different for us, but he also wants something different for those in Pakistan. He wants a little bit more freedom. Now, I understand, you know, you, know, you hear about Saudi Arabia. Women can't go outside the house without a male relative. They can't drive. They can't be in public without a male around them. Well, there's a lot of rape, molestation, all of that stuff that goes on. They don't talk about it because, you know, they're good Muslims. They don't do those kind of things, except they do. And um, so I understand why they're protected like that, but the Lord wants a little bit more freedom for them. So, and he wants our hearts to be changed, our culture to be changed, that, we don't have a divorce culture that we have a culture that honors others. And so I actually prayed over Mika but I'm going to do it again. And then Mika will pray over another woman and then those two women will pray up over other women, you know, and it's it goes back to, you know, passing the cups, you know. It's the same thing. And just a side note, a couple weeks ago, a guy named Doug Sherman has a church in Moses Lake. I really respect this man. He's prophetic. Um, We had a Friday night prophetic night, and he grouped us up in groups of about three or four. He said, all right, you guys speak prophetically over the man in your group. And I went, that's exactly what we do when we pass the cups. It just looks a little bit different, but it's the same thing. And the really encouraging thing is, you know, it's not all on me to pass cups everywhere. The Lord is doing this in the earth. You know, I can't get everywhere. I'm not that special anyways. You know, he's doing this in the whole earth. He wants the prophetic. He wants the grace to be passed on to everybody. So let's do that right now, and then there's some other stuff. So it's really, really simple. No, you come down. You come up. And then you pray over these, and then it just spreads like a virus. <laughs> so I was talking to Chris about the one, and he says, if one disciple makes one disciple a year, the world can be saved in 33 years. And you see how fast that that anointing was passed on, that impartation? That's how fast it can be, you know. If I tried to pray every, over every woman here, We'd be here for a while, you know, but it doesn't have to take that long. And Quinn, just a special word for you this morning. You are telling me about your uh, dream, and, and, and I've said this before. I think Chris has heard this, but when we're on fire for the Lord, our lives burn on the altar of our hearts, and the flavor of our life rises before the Lord as incense. And so your life rises before the Lord as incense. I don't know the depth of all of that, but I know it's pretty cool. So there you go. Cheers. So that's all of us, by the way. Our lives burn on the altar of our hearts. And it rises before the Lord as incense. And it's a sweet smell to him. Sometimes I wonder about myself, but, you know, he's faithful. Amen. He is faithful. Um, hmm. You know, you guys sang that song this morning about a spring. And a few years ago I was here and during worship, I had this vision of literally a volcano exploding and flowing out, and it's full of fire and stuff, and and I I gravitate that way. I want to see fire fall everywhere I go. And I want to see people equipped, and it's really beyond me to do it. Only God can do it. But Kevin back there gained a special place in my heart that day because he came forward with a very similar vision. He said he saw a fountain, and today... Chris was speaking, speaking about a fountain, and this place is a place of refreshing. It is a fountain of living water that flows in this area. I believe that there is regional places of power in the Lord, and Harvest Valley is one of them. I believe the house that I come from, Remnant House, with all the things that are going on there with me and people there that there's a place of power there as well. Um, When we first met, I literally said, we're under the covering of the Harvest Valley Worship Center when we're at Schweitzer. All the years before when Yakima Foursquare ran the ski retreat, they have their own covering 2014, Lee kept it going. I wasn't even going to go. I'm the only guy that's been to every single ski retreat. I thought Lee was too. He's, no, I missed a couple years, Dave. And so I'm literally the only guy that's been to every single one. I'm in charge because we washed a lot of toilets. <laughs> <laughs> the last guy out out of the house, lock the door, take the key up to the, the main lodge, you know, me and Corey Berg. We're the last guys out for years. Corey buys our food. He's really frugal. Some of you know we had 44 pounds of prime rib this year. It was good. <laughs> it was good. Even after Angel Wilson spoke for an hour and a half for a testimony. But what a powerful testimony. It was worth waiting. Very well worth waiting. Um, hmm. I'm just take a step of faith here because I don't really know what I'm hearing. But step up, Chris and Mika. Yeah. Rick, would you come up?
1: Get it, buddy. It's good.
0: Yeah? It's good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. There's power in this house power to save, power to restore. Power to equip, power to mentor. Increase it, Lord. Increase it, Lord. Increase it. Fill them full of everything that they are designed and destined to be filled with. Bring in the people from all corners of the area that belong here to make this house powerful and strong in you. Fill them up, Lord. Fill them up. You got something, right? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Hola <laughs> on <laughs> was on me
0: twice for them in Jesus' name.
1: Just do this until what, what I feel is electricity running down my arms, and not my hands. Mm-hmm. And I'll just I wait till it stops. <laughs> so, <laughs> more Lord. It's actually more over here right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord.
0: All no, I can do. Thank you, Mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. All right, receive it, guys. Man, a few words, but much power. Rick's desire is to have a healing in every country he visits. That's honorable. It's honorable. You felt it too, huh? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I'll just say um, I kept seeing a weaver's loom for you. Like, as you were praying, I just, things just, and I know that God has given you some amazing gifting when it comes to the Word of God, but I believe that there's this um, weaving um, together things that normally wouldn't go together, that you're really, really phenomenally blessed, so I just say amen to that.
0: So that's kind of how kingdom's supposed to work. When I came back and I mentioned to Rick Peacock that I had imparted something in Pakistan but I brought something back he just like that's kingdom Dave and it's like my eyes open to who Rick was because Rich was because he grew up in Columbia Um, speaks Spanish incredibly well missionary son didn't always walk the Lord but he's an elder at our church now and uh, he's finding his place. And so I just saw Rick's going to Remnant House right now. He's, they have a draw on their life somewhere else. But he actually brought something from Remnant House to you guys. And at the same time, you spoke over him. And you imparted something back to Remnant House through Rick. And that's kingdom, guys. That's kingdom. We need to expect that everywhere we go. On the way home from Pakistan, I get on the airplane in Pakistan, it's like four hours, and I went through Doha this time instead of Dubai, because they have a big racetrack in Doha, and the first race, MotoGP race of the year is there. I was hoping to see it from the airplane, but it didn't happen. <laughs> the race happened two weeks ago. Um, they were in Malaysia this today, they actually raced today in Malaysia. Um, Anyways, to get on the, the plane about two hours in, I, I paid a little extra so I could have more leg room up front. Well, come to find out, that's where they put all the mothers with the babies, too, right? <laughs> so they have a little more room. I didn't know that until, <laughs> you know. And so I'm sitting up there, and more than one thing was going on in that whole deal. You know, there's one Muslim lady with a little baby was really nervous, this big white guy sitting next to her, you know, you know, Satan himself, <laughs> you know, anyways, there was this family behind me with like three kids, and this little boy threw up all over his dad about two hours in, you know, and, um, you know, the stewardesses came and and uh, cleaned up, sprayed some stuff in the air so it didn't stink, you know, it worked, it worked, thank goodness, so we we fly into Doha, and everybody jumps up ready to go, right? So they let the first class out first and all that, and then this little boy throws up all over his dad again. Everybody's standing in the aisle. There is no stewardesses coming because they can't get through for one. And it's like, wow. And I go, hey, I got some washable wet wipes that've been in the bottom of my backpack since 2015. <laughs> And I pull them out, and I hand it to this lady. And, you know, she speaks good English. She's probably heading to America, you know. Oh, Kirkland, Costco. (laughs) Wipes up her husband, wipes up the baby a little bit. They were still wet enough. And uh, and so we file off, and I'm kind of walking with them because we're in the same group, you know. And I'm going, like, that guy needs a clean T-shirt. I just happened to have one in my backpack because I was going to change into it for the long flight. Right, and I said, could you guys use a, could you use a clean T-shirt? And he's a fairly big guy. I'm bigger, um, and the wife says yes. <laughs> and I go, it has a religious emblem on it. That's okay. So I gave them a Remnant House T-shirt. So this Muslim man walking through Doha is puts on this Remnant House T-shirt, a clean Remnant House T-shirt. They were very happy to receive it. We get on the big airplane and, uh, you know, the 400-seater or whatever, and uh, start flying back, and about halfway through the flight, this lady that had been sitting next to me that moved over to this other seat, <laughs> you know, um, started, ends up, it was an anxiety attack, Right? And everybody thought she was having a heart attack or something, you know. And I went over and laid hands on her and prayed for her for a minute. And I'm going like, what's going on, Lord? What's going on here? It's, eh, it's not unto death, Dave, you know. The stewardesses and the steward come, and they make a call to her doctor, you know, while we're flying over the Arctic. And um, they really didn't do anything. But she finally calmed down. When we when we fly into Seattle, She's up on her feet, she's smiling, she's going to see her family, you know, she's all good. But, you know, weird stuff happening on the airplane on the way home. And then uh, my friend Abraham Balderas, who, uh, he'll tell you that I saved his life. So one of the reasons I'm in the motorcycle thing ministry is that in 2009, a young man named Hector Sosa was killed a block and a half from my house in Grandview, and the Lord put it on my heart to do a sport bike clinic. That's how I first met Mark and got involved more heavily in that. So we brought some people in to Dan Dentschel's motorcycle shop, had a sport bike clinic. We had 50 young men on sport bikes come. Yeah, yeah, and it basically is like I lived through it. You need to go to the track if you're going to ride like I do, right? Where would you do 100 miles an hour? Right in front of my house and literally did one time with my daughter on the back. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think Judy watched. But one of her friends' boyfriends had a little Yamaha R6, and she was all excited. Hey, Nick's coming over. All right, fine. You know, so I go in the garage. I pull the box off the shelf because I wasn't riding yet, go outside, stick out my hand, he puts the keys in my hand, put my helmet on, start the bike up, do a wheelie, come back, put Tiffany on the back of the bike. She's like 16 or 17. I hit 120 down the road in front of my house, came back and said, you can't get on a bike with anybody unless I go riding with them first, period. Anyways, the point is, is – I had Abraham over the house one day. He's now on team, by the way. He's been invited on team. And uh, just a great heart. And uh, he was ready to accept the Lord right then and there. You know, you saved my life, Dave. You got me off the street. And uh, I said, you know, Abraham, I can pray a sinner's prayer with you right now. You can accept Jesus right now. Or you can go home and talk to your wife, Gilly. And you guys can do it at home together. And they did. You know, they're growing in their faith. They got a ways to go. So do I, you know. So Abraham's working on Dan Dentschel's house in Prosser. He's a flooring guy, tile guy. And uh, I heard he was there This was just a couple days after I got back. And I start driving up this hill to this new house that Dan bought. And I heard the Lord say, in women we call it in grace, we call it grace. In men, we call it strength. Okay, so I get there, and I start telling some of my Pakistan testimony to Abraham, and in walks his brother-in-law, Tony, his son's name Tony, Abraham's son is. Tony just got out of prison, 22 years in prison, for being a cartel meth deliverer. And I'm telling him this, and I turn around, can I pray for you? And I literally pray for this guy, just you know, pass on anointings, pass on strength, whatever I prayed because I don't remember. A lot of times in the spirit I don't remember what I say because it ain't me anyways. And so it's like, wow, that kind of sealed my trip, wow. right? And then we went down to California this January because a lot of my friends go down. They have a once-a-month race series in the middle of the winter in Walla Valley. And I just... I want to go down and hang out with the team, you know, some of the people from from Too Fast that are racing down there and meet some other people. And, and every time we turn around, something supernatural is happening. There's a young man there named Sam Lockhart. He's from South Africa. Um, you know, when he was like 12 and 13, he won everything his age group could win in Africa. So he went to Europe and raced a little bit. This is his second year in Moto America, which is the top racing organization in America. He's racing for Suzuki. He's like 18 years old. He's a professional motorcycle racer. Gets paid for it, right? He's about this tall. He's a jockey, you know. And uh, Judy had seen him. There's some cabins outside the racetrack. They're really nice, actually. They, They would work perfect in the barge. They really would. They're perfect. Um, anyways it's in the morning before everything started the second day and he's sitting out at the picnic table with his head in his hands so I grab the dog and go for a walk <laughs> and I walk over how are you what's your name you know and I sit down with him and I look at him and I say do you believe in God and he literally looks at the sky and goes I don't know my personal trainer was killed on his motorcycle day before yesterday. That was a God moment. Everywhere we go, we need to expect God moments. We need to expect to be able to speak into people's lives. Don't forget the one. Always pursue the one, because I can't touch 10,000 people all at once, but I can touch one. And so I sat there, I didn't really know what to say, but I said, you know, I know God loved your personal trainer, and he loves you, you know. And then later in the day, I'm in my race leathers, and I walk by his pit, and I walk up to him. I literally put my hand on his heart. How are you doing? Okay. He had his race face on, but he was still tender, you know. And uh, they're going to race in Shelton this year, and me and Judy are going to be there. I'm going to go bug that guy. <laughs> I'm going to be bold. and am going to go see how he's doing. Um, lots of stuff happened there. I, I talked to a guy named Dave Moss, who I've known who he is for a long time. He's a suspension guy. And I heard before I even got there that tracks so much different than our Northwest tracks that you really need to sh- change your suspension to ride well. And so I said, Dave, can you help me my, with my suspension? That's what he does, right? So we get over there and, working on my suspension, it's cold the first day, you know, so tires feel like ice blocks and stuff, and anyways, it gets me tuned up, and and I start talking last time I was in the Mojave Desert was like in January 81 me and my friend Greg Kaler stopped and went under this dry wash and got high, and we got back out and took our t-shirts off, and I said Greg, drive the bike All right. never owned a bike rode them a couple times, so we get I'd been doing 100 miles an hour across the desert Highway 10 there from Palm Springs. So he runs it up to 100, slows down to 70, front tire goes flat. And so you're crazy. the freeway, thank goodness it was straight. <laughs> and I go, Jesus, save me, and I'll search for you the rest of my life. Took a while to come around, but God started moving things. Anyways, I told this story to Dave Moss, and he goes, Wow, that's a great story. Most of my friends were dead by the time I was 23. And so now I've opened a door with Dave Moss, right? Mallory's one of the gals that's come on team. She's really fast. She got her license to race with Moto America this year. Um, she rides on a 600. And she, she rides, you know, she's like 130 pounds, you know. I'm 280 pounds on a light day, on a 1,000. Her bike geared is just as fast or faster as my bike, right, because every horsepower is required for every seven pounds more that you weigh than the other person. A horsepower is required for every seven pounds, right? And so we dice it up once in a while. Anyways, I said something to her earlier this year. She had a really hard breakup with a guy, another racer, guy that came on track, Zach Flipped out, broke his heart terribly when she broke up with him. They were engaged to be married. Mallory was feeling all this tension and all this pressure because of breaking up with Zach. And, you know, we can't, you know, it's her decision, you know. So you can't, you just got to abide by that. But toward the end of the season last year, I told her, you know, Mallory, we all love a love story. And all of us thought that you and Zach were it. You know, so she was down there, finally got around to catching up with her. I walked in. She just posted a couple of days before on Facebook that she had a good hair day, right? So I walk up, There's a the girl that had the good hair day. She walks over to me, and I was expecting this one-second double-tap hug. She grabbed me and hugged me, right? I said something to my pastor, Sheila, and, and she says she's looking at you like a father, Dave. You know, so there's that connection. You know, um, we got to talk to uh, Matt White, who came on team last year. And we're just talking about the one now, guys, right? And I, I asked Matt, I said, did you ever give your heart to the Lord? We're sitting in our truck getting ready to leave on Thursday night to come home. And he said, no. My uh, uncle, when he was 18, well before Matt was born, uh, drowned. And my grandfather got saved and caused a family split trying to get everybody saved, right? And he starts talking about being in three-day firefights in Iraq and all of this stuff. I'm like, this guy knows who God is. He's just not walking with him, you know? And so I just prayed over Matt that he would encounter God. So now the really cool thing happens. So we come back, and we stay in Henderson by... Las Vegas for the night. In the morning, I get up, go down and have breakfast, and there's this young Mexican gal in there serving. And uh, she brings me my breakfast out, and I don't know how it got to it. I said, do you need a hug? And she says, no. She turns around smiles at me. Do you need a hug? <laughs> and I go, yeah, I'll take one. So, you know, did a little one-arm hug and stuff. You know, I don't know this young lady. And then the Lord says... Ask her if she knows the presence. And I said, do you know the presence? And, man, her face lit up, and she, I could just see it. She was, like, in his presence right then. It's like, oh, man, it's like, ah. you know, and it's like, I didn't need to know. I needed to know. God already knew. And so literally right then and there, I laid my hands on her, and I passed on every anointing I ever received, stolen, passed on to that young lady right then and there. You know, and I I told you, you're going to start being more prophetic. That's the short story. And that kind of sealed our trip. So you move in the things of the Lord, you can expect something. When you come home, you can expect something to seal it. I don't know what's going to happen on the way home today, but I expect something to seal up the trip because God's good. And I think that's all I got. So... Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.